Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. There are five sublimely gifted women nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role. The nominees are Amy Adams, American Hustle, Kate Blanchett, Blue Jasmine, Sandra Bullock, Gravity, Judy Dench, Philomena, Meryl Streep, August Osage County. And the Oscar goes to Kate Blanchett. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 2014 ceremony year win for Kate Blanchett uh, in a lead actress category. We already talked about Lupita Nyong'o uh, in supporting, so that's another episode that you should check out. Very quickly, I'm just going to repeat this in case you haven't seen the Lupita Nyong'o episode. Uh, Best Picture went to 12 Years a Slave. Best Director went to Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity. Best Actor went to Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club. And Best Supporting actor went to Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club, and obviously best supporting actress went to Lupita Nyong'o. Um, today, I am joined by a fan favorite, a friend, a comedian, a writer. She is a writer on um, Run the Burbs, which is on CBC Television right now, and she has some other things that are up and coming, so you should pay attention to that. It's Catherine Eicher. Hey, Catherine. Hi. How you doing? How- I am good. I'm so excited whenever we have you on this podcast because I love having you, but also I get messages about you. People love you on this show. That is so kind. I I really do appreciate that a lot. And it's always such a joy to uh, be on this show. So it's my pleasure. So why Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine? Why this year? Um, To be honest, I was just very curious about this year. I think uh, I'd seen two out of the five films previously, uh, Gravity Mm. and American Hustle. And it was just something I I was very curious by. I mean, Kate Blanchett is one of the greatest actresses of our time. She's top Mm -hmm. tier. You know, like I I like to compare it to singers like, you know, like Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Celine Dion. Like she is in that tier of acting. And so whenever I see her in a category, you know, much like a Meryl Streep, who's also in this category this year, it's just it's a must watch. It's a must go to. That is a fantastic answer. How was your holidays, Christmas, all that? Oh, it was good. It was very, um, I don't know, not that exciting. But my family's very small. It's just like my mom, my brother and I. So we just like get together. We uh, we ate some crab curry, which is like the best mm. meal on planet Earth. It's the messiest meal on planet <laughs> Earth because it's real crabs in the shell filled you know covered in curry sauce but i'm telling you Mm. it's the greatest thing ever and you can only eat it in front of people who really love you (laughs) (laughs) people who will not sloppy turn their back on you no matter what you look like or sound like (laughs) like it has to be in a safe space yeah that's that's what makes it a christmas meal (laughs) Ooh, oh my god now i really want crab curry because i've never had that i love crab i love curry i need to try crab curry yeah we should we should have it together we should we should treat ourselves to a a special dinner one day (laughs) but you won't judge me well we have to make a pact to not judge each other yes 
like whenever like a celebrity is coming in and doing like a stand-up comedy special and, and they like lock up everybody in the audience's like phones oh yeah we would have to do <laughs> yeah. that so there would be no recording yeah yeah we have to lock up our phones at the entrance <laughs> absolutely <That's-> yeah. <laughs> um so i had a not super great christmas because oh, anybody no. listening to this podcast if you were in north america we had like an armageddon snowmageddon that's like, right blizzard which i drive in the worst weather conditions as a stand-up comedian in canada i have all-wheel drive i have winter tires i'm like that's fine because on the weather app because i decided to go home to ottawa from toronto Mm. on the 24th like it just said that it was like 50 kilometer winds going northeast and i'm like well like you know i'm driving east but like the tree line should block it from Lake Ontario because like the winds coming off the lake are obviously going to be way more intense. But I'm like, I literally drive in the worst weather conditions. It's fine. No, I am so stupid and arrogant. I got um, outside of Oshawa and I was in a complete whiteout. Like I literally couldn't see anything at all. And there were like just two like tire tracks like in the road and the three or the six lane highway was literally just like a two lane highway at that point, like one on each side. And of course, all the like pickup trucks and the Jeeps were like flying by everybody, like weaving in and out of lanes. I don't know Mm. what it is with pickup trucks, but it's like, why is it always like a fucking douchebag driving a pickup truck? Like, is it, it's kind of like that chicken and egg situation. It's like, were you a douchebag before the truck or did you become a douchebag when you got the truck? Like what well, I, is it? It's, you know, there's a personality type that lends itself to certain professions, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like us but in like, comedy, you know? Yeah. It's very, it's very, and we're so cynical, right? Of course it comes with the territory, <laughs> but like, I mean, anyway, I got the, the highway got shut down. Um, and so I thought, oh, fuck, like, I'm just going to turn around and go home. Well, that wasn't an option because the highway was fully closed down and all the side roads were blocked by the snow because it had piled up so much. There were literal plows in the ditch. Wow. Like, I was like genuinely scared so I I called my dad because I was like I just need to talk to someone that's like of some kind of a masculine energy that's (laughs) like mechanically inclined like you know what I mean like I just need one lifeline anyway it's so funny we got stopped and we had to all get off at Lyle Street no stop yeah I know like which and I was like that's ominous then we uh I had to go and get a hotel because I knew that I was like trapped overnight because I couldn't get home, but all the hotels were taken. So then the only place that was available was this place in Coburg, Ontario, AKA the portal to hell uh, (laughs) called the King George Inn, which like sounds really fancy, but it actually was a prison until 1998. A prison converted into a hotel. That's right. How festive. So just the Was cherry. Was it a four by four room? <laughs> yeah, <it> <laughs> um, actually, yes. But they did convert it into like kind of like a fancy room where it looked like somebody would be. a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, t- <laughs> the toilet was next to the bed. Yeah. Um. But it was, the room was nice. It looked like a room where uh, like somebody would be murdered in Clue. Oh, wow. Like, kind of fancy, but I will say this. On my way to this hotel, 
my fucking wiper blade mechanism, not the actual blades themselves, but the mechanism motor completely broke in my car. Oh my God. So I couldn't fucking see anything. So it's just one thing after another. I get to this inn and then I'm like, okay, fine. At least I'm safe. At least I'm at a hotel. They had no power, no heat, no hot water. And when I walked in, there were no windows. So it was pitch black dark. And this woman, like a ghoul, emerged from the darkness and was like, who goes there? Like just this... (laughs) terrifying experience although she did greet me with like a tim hortons muffin because like that was the because they couldn't cook any food and i was like "Mm, thank you but when i went to my room uh yeah i was like completely trapped in the middle of nowhere there was no heat there was no power it was a prison and the cherry the wi-fi password was can't get out stop I was like, this is just proof that God hates gay people. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is the final proof that I needed. Oh, my God. It was just one thing after another. I called one of those, like, 24-7, like, you know, car, because I have, like, my car. Like, with my car, I have, like, um, they can come and, like, Like tow your car. Exactly. But they're like, well, like, because of the circumstances, you're at a hotel, so it's not the end of the world because there are literal people that are trapped and they're being brought to, like, arenas. Yeah. So, like, you're not a priority. I'm, like, fantastic. So then I looked up a via train situation to train back to Toronto because I thought, well, I'll just leave my car at the train station because you can indefinitely and not be charged for it in Coburg. And I was like, great, I'll just take the via train back to Toronto and then I can just like tow my car after Christmas. Then it turns out that via train was derailed and trapped for 18 hours and it became so unsanitary for the people on the train that the toilets were overflowing and they were trapped in, wait for it, Coburg, Ontario. So this is just the portal to hell is Coburg, Ontario. And we're all suffering. So even if I wanted to take a train, I couldn't. Oh, and also I had to pay $174 for this hotel room, by the way, that had no power or heat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then I just, as a final straw, just put out a message um, on Facebook, like, please, Somebody from Coburg, rescue me. I will give you such a blowjob. I don't care (laughs) of the circumstances. I will just, I am desperate at this point. And then these two gays that I knew from New Orleans, I went to this bachelor party and I met them. They live on a farm 10 minutes away. Wow. So they rescued me. Yeah. They picked me up. They took me to their farmhouse. It was, they gave me like dinner. I slept overnight. They saved my gay ass. There were also some lesbians in the area. And if I'm being honest with you, I'm so grateful that the gays saved me. But like in a wilderness crisis situation. You want the lesbians. You want the lesbians. They're better in a crisis. Because when my car basically broke down, I just was going to leave my car on the side of the road and just text my family goodbye. Like I was just like, this is it. Like I can't, you know. I'm so bad like with, with that kind of stuff. I can perform in like thousands in front of like in front of thousands of people, but like the second that I have car trouble, I just start crying and Listen, I just we all we all have our strengths, you know. <laughs> exactly, but mechanically, I am not there. We but the gays rescued strengths. me. Oh. I got I I I'm more I shocked my... that uh, you're frequent on Facebook. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what I'd have to say though. Whenever you put out those desperate, I'm actually genuinely in need of help posts. You know what I fucking hate mm-hmm. is when like. Jessica is commenting being like, 
sending positive vibes. vibes. Oh god, yeah. I can't get to fu- I can't get back to Toronto on positive vibes, Jessica. Fuck off. This is not helpful. <laughs> Fuck off with that shit. I hate that shit. I under like I get where your heart is, but like I don't know where the fuck your head is at. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I drove back to Toronto the next day when there was a break in the weather and I just kept pulling over and wiping off my windshield, took Daniel's work car, drove back home. It took me 30 hours to get to Ottawa, but I made it. But it was just an exhausting, exhausting, expensive holiday. Wow. Mm. I mean, that's a movie in and of itself. I actually thought, ooh, this would be like a good start to like a murder mystery, like The Shining situation. Yeah, or a Hallmark Christmas movie because there's too many of those. In Coburg? I don't think so. I know, literally in Coburg. All of them take place in a town like Coburg. Well, or just like the cute version of Coburg. Like, like literally, like, you know, the Gilmore girls, like that cute town that they're in. That town, I mean, I loved that town when I was watching that show, but that has just ruined it now because every stupid Christmas movie just takes place in a town like that. Everyone's just trying to be the Gilmore Girls. Which that town is actually really close to Coburg. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my friends, my girlfriends, they're super basic. They like spend a weekend there for funsies. Um, and I think like the locals like can always tell they're like, you are like a Gilmore Girls fan. I can yeah. tell like the way it's an energy. Wow. Wild. Um, but oh, and just I, the one detail and then we're going to move on mm. was obviously, um, all the power went out, um, in the entire area of Coburg or at least where I was staying. So there were no restaurants open. So the only place that I could go and get food was like a shopper's fine. When I got there, their debit and credit wasn't working. Yeah. So then I had to go back into the blizzard to find an ATM, which was impossible to find. Would and the then ATM when I- work? Uh, the ATM did work because I guess it's on like a generator or something. I found some Scotiabank that was like about like 10 minutes away, walked back to shoppers. And the only thing that I could kind of eat was like, you know, granola bars or like chips. So my dinner was going to be a can of soup that I was going to (laughs) drink. Is that what you did? I, but then I got rescued by the gays and they saved me. Oh, and then when the gays picked me up, just, just the cherry on top of all of it to the bitter end, when I was walking down the stairs with my bags, when the guy like was picking me up to like bring them, you know, like into his car, when I was walking down the stairs, the strap on my duffel bag broke and I fell down the stairs. (laughs) Even your duffel bag had been through it. Yeah. It, we had, yeah, she, she went through a lot. Even your duffel bag was like. Bitch, I'm cold. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so enough of this story. But yeah, I had a, I had a shitty I had a shitty Christmas experience, but it's over. Now. Well, no, that is a harrowing tale, and um, <laughs> I'm glad you survived. I'm glad you eventually made it to see your family. Yeah, eventually, and it's hard. You know, my dad actually like recently had a stroke. Yeah, and um, you know, we're kind of like working through that as a family, and like um, we're trying to figure out what the diagnosis not your dad is recovering and... from a stroke, and you're still asking him for help in, yeah. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he because he can't really go out anymore. He's a very active person, so he's calling me like all the time oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, but anyway, sweet. so all that to say, it, it it did have a happy ending, but fuck, it was a journey getting there. Yeah. So let's talk about why we're all here. Let's talk. <laughs> let's jump into these nominees. Um, I feel like people like listening to this are just like skipping forward though. Like, no, not at, all. Uh, <laughs> not at all. Um, let's talk about Judy Dench in Philomena. So very quickly, 
Philomena, a world wary political journalist played by Steve Coogan, who actually uh, wrote this film, uh, picks up the story of a woman's search for her son who was taken away from her decades ago after she became pregnant and was forced to live in a convent, which apparently this was a thing in Ireland. Daniel, my boyfriend, being from Ireland, was telling me that like this was such a thing um, that they like broke ties with the Vatican and like forced um, that property that these nuns in the church owned and they turned it into like a children's hospital as like retribution, mm-hmm. almost like the residential schools like going on in yes. Canada, same sort of situation where like babies were like sold and like they died and like were killed and like it was just a super fucked up situation because of the church because of the nuns um mm-hmm. i didn't i did not know that this was a thing um but uh judy dench plays philomena the woman whose child was like sold without her permission um mm-hmm. and she is very defensive of the catholic church and the nuns and it's like this sort of stockholm situation uh Stockholm syndrome situation and basically Martin played by Steve Coogan is like the voice of logic in the story and um it's actually an insane fucking story that this is based on reality yeah and, very um, much based on a true story very a, a very compelling story um what did you think and what did you think of Judy Dench um I loved this movie uh, I, I didn't really know anything about this movie. This is kind of like the one movie I sort of went into a bit blind. Actually, that's not true. There's a couple on this list that I went into not knowing anything about it. Uh, this was one of them. Uh, I was immediately captivated by the story. I think this is a near perfect film. Um, mm. There really isn't much wrong with this film at all. Uh, I think uh, Dame Judi Dench's performance in this is excellent. I think she um, she's a very um, naive and uh, sheltered character, but mm-hmm. she plays that really well without portraying the character as dumb. And that mm-hmm. is like a really hard line to walk. And I think she does it brilliantly. So in this film, she uh, she is trying to find her lost son. And um, there's so many like twists and turns to this that you don't really expect. And I think the way she it's like you can tell she's like going through these different stages of grief as she goes through the process of, of finding her son. I mean, we can we can give it all away. Right, Kyle? No, of course, yeah. Yeah, They had plenty of time to watch this movie. Sorry, guys. Spoilers. (laughs) So she's trying to find her son, and they travel to Washington because he was sold to uh, an American family. Uh, They find out that he passed away many years ago, and they find that out at the midpoint of this film, which is Mm -hmm. interesting because by finding that out at the midpoint of the film, you realize, oh, as we get to the climax of this film, there's going to be an even bigger twist. And the bigger Mm -hmm. twist is that he tried to find her. And that this convent lied to both of them about their whereabouts. And it is so heartbreaking. And I think, um, you know, it's funny because you you refer to it as Stockholm Syndrome. And I I believe that is true to an extent. But one thing I really love about this film is that it plays with the morality of all its characters. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's the morality of the nuns. There's the morality of Jane Dewey Dench herself. And there's the morality of Steve Coogan, the reporter. So the reporter is a a jaded atheist 
Uh, mm-hmm. Dame Judi Dench, although is not a part of the convict any longer, still a devout Catholic. And then you have the extremism of these just straight up evil nuns. And I love that even though they're going through so much, their convictions remain the same. And at the end of this movie, they have a confrontation with Judy Dench and the old nun, a nun who's now very old in present day. And they have this confrontation. And when Dame Judy Dench looked at the nun and said, I forgive you, I legitimately mm-hmm. clapped in my <laughs> living room to myself because I was like, this is powerful. This is mm-hmm. really, really powerful. And and then later the reporter said, looks at her and says, I could never forgive you, which is mm-hmm. also quite valid. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think the fact that they um, the way they're able to to weave through all of that, I, I think, is absolutely brilliant. I really, really enjoyed this movie. Well, it's interesting that you say the way that she um, doesn't come off as necessarily like naive. She's more just kind of like quiet and mm-hmm. like um, sort of. uh not like a scary, intimidating, don't fuck with me, Judy Dench that we're used to. Mm-hmm. And I would say the closest that she sort of came to playing a character like this was in Notes on a Scandal where she was a teacher. But then there was that like weird, intense, creepy yes. side to her yeah. where in this movie, um, she's not scary. She's more passive and she's more go with the flow, accepting sort of just like this sweet old Irish lady. And that's definitely sort of like a side that you've never even really seen to her. And even in Mm -hmm. Belfast, which she was also nominated for, she's also playing like an old Irish lady as well. It's like a different kind of old Irish lady. Mm -hmm. And so I find that with Judi Dench, like her range is sometimes um, not like a Meryl Streep range, but there is a range there that sometimes is a little bit more subtle. But I do think that it certainly is um, effective she has played this kind of role before where she plays like the older version. And then there's a younger version, like when she was in the movie Iris um, Mm. and Kate Winslet was like the younger version. And also in Titanic when, you know, you have like Kate Winslet and Gloria, what's her face. Who's playing uh, the older version. I just know her as old Rose. Yeah. Old Rose. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's so uh, interesting how uh, she doesn't, blame the church on anything um and i think for me like the most emotional moment is when she finds out that he's dead yeah but it's not like you're you're like you're saying like it's not the climax of the movie Mm -hmm. it's very well paced emotionally like i think that she uh was doing exactly what she was supposed to do because there is this part of her that is that has accepted that her son was not part of her life and she's Um, he had a completely separate life and she had her own family and kids and stuff like that. So there is this sort of sadness, but there's almost this like instant acceptance because she's like, well, this whole entire thing was out of my control. Mm -hmm. And just the way that she sort of played that was very real and very, very, um, believable. It was such an emotional journey. Um, I thought one of the funniest lines was uh, that she thought, you know, perhaps he played the harp and they're looking at her like, what? And she's like, what? He was gay. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Like, <laughs> I thought that was uh, really, really funny. Um, and, you know, yeah, I also wrote down whenever she forgives the nun um, and she says that she doesn't want to be hateful like the reporter. 
And um, I get that. But like you're saying, like, I'm a bitter bitch. Like, Mm. I would not be able to forgive somebody for, like, doing something like that. But I guess, like, you do sort of have to move on with your life. And I think that that's also, like, a very relevant point. And um, it's very important for her character to have that moment. And yeah, it's just the kind of sweet old lady of Judy Dench that maybe we're not used to seeing. And it was just um, fun seeing her in that sort of way. A um, couple trivia points about this movie. So several decades later, partly due to the original book, it became apparent just how common stories like Philomena's were in Ireland before, during, and after the 1950s. Uh, revelations about widespread forced adoptions and abuse of children and unmarried mothers by the Roman Catholic Church and other religious organizations have given this movie a much darker undercurrent than it was originally intended than when it was released. Mm. And I mean, especially now, like with the residential schools mm-hmm. in Canada. Um, when Philomena Lee, who is Judy Dench, is asking Mary, Mayor Winningham, if Michael, um, Shan, uh, Sean Mahan, um, if if he ever talked about Ireland and she comments, no, not really. In the mm. book, um, uh, it's stated that Michael and Mary returned to Ireland and talked to the nuns about finding his mother. So for some reason, like his adopted sister, uh, that whole that was a complete fabrication. And for some reason, they, I guess they did it for dramatic effect, I'm assuming. But the sister actually did go to Ireland mm. to find, you know, his uh, birth mother. Right. Um, but yeah, no, amazing performance by Judy Dench. I love this movie. I would definitely watch it again. And That's an interesting just- choice. Sorry, just about what you're saying. Because um, there's like a sequence of events as they start to meet people that were a part of her son's life and what they um, reveal. They had the the boyfriend reveal that he went to Ireland, but really they could have just switched that order mm-hmm. where they met the boyfriend first and then the sister and then found out they both went to Ireland. Yeah. It would have been also like, and, and then she well. could have I, just gone with them. Like I, I, I feel like, yeah, that's an interesting creative choice to to move away from from fact like that. And all adapted screenplays do, um, and so it, it, yeah, it's just an interesting choice because as you said it, I'm like, oh, but there's a way they could have done that and kept it more realistic and still had the dramatic stakes be the same. So anyway, just mm-hmm. an interesting choice. Yeah, I also thought it was sort of interesting the way that she shut down once uh, she found out that he was never interested in Ireland or his Irish identity. But then it turns out that he actually very much was. And it was interesting the way that she kind of just gave up on it. And I'm not exactly sure if I understand like how she decided to because she went to that church and had that like little breakdown. And then she like changed her mind and she's like, fuck it. Like, let's keep going. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway. Okay. Uh, One last thing I'll say about this film. Just one little detail that I really loved is when they go to Washington, it's peak fall. So you have all the the fall foliage, which is just like beautiful from a cinematic perspective, but also, you know, old Shakespearean pathetic fallacy where you're dealing with themes of death and Mm -hmm. you're doing it in the fall. Just the little things like that make a make a big difference in a film. There are a lot of subtleties that maybe people don't necessarily pick up on stuff like that, where like, if you're like really like into that kind of stuff, like symbolism and mm-hmm. like, it's like, oh, but so that's, yeah, maybe like a little hidden Easter egg for yeah, the yeah. cinephiles. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, let's talk about Sandra Bullock in Gravity. Uh, very quickly, two astronauts work together to survive after an accident leaves them stranded in space. This movie is just a panic attack. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite lines of this, or uh, one of the favorite jokes ever at the Golden Globes was when Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were hosting and they were like, Gravity, the movie where George Clooney would rather float off into space and die than be tethered to a woman his own Yes, age. that was so good. <laughs> It's like the best joke ever. Um, So in this movie, uh, Sandra Bullock, her character's name is Ryan Stone, uh, which sounds like a hunky doctor from like a soap opera. True. And basically the uh, issue is that there is a satellite that uh, the Russians, they destroyed their own. It's always the Russians. uh, They are destroying their (laughs) own satellite and then it got caught in an orbit And the debris from that was just like destroying everything, like causing billions, perhaps even trillions of dollars worth of damage in space. And because it was on orbit, it was like a full rotation around the earth. And then you'd have so long before you could like get to your next checkpoint and then boom, you're like taking on more shrapnel. And it's like this movie, um, obviously the performance... I feel like the script was probably like 10 pages. There's really not a lot of dialogue. It's all (laughs) about the action and the emotional journey of those actions. And the entire movie is like a metaphor for trauma of, you know, getting over uh, the trauma of her past, losing her child Mm. uh, who died. She like fell and smacked her little head on the pavement and she died. And then the space represents like you're, not grounded and the whole thing is about quote coming back down to earth coming back down to reality and and moving past the trauma of your past it's all symbolic it's all a metaphor and that's beautiful i understand that that's for the cinephiles right Mm -hmm. um but that being said though uh this movie is extremely enjoyable the visual effects are amazing the editing is fucking amazing uh the way that they filmed this movie there's a i watched like a little documentary on uh, youtube i'd recommend watching mm. it it's just like the way they navigated it to make it look so realistic is very very interesting sandra bullock had to be trapped in a cage for 10 hours a day it was super fucked but um they said that the success of the performance and the success of this movie was very much on sandra bullock and the choices that she made and um, the way that she had to memorize like go here touch this pull that out go and blah blah right because it's all green screen right Mm -hmm. so it's like it was literally like like a ballet dancer remembering their steps and their moves and um, you know uh, uh, Alfonso Cuaron was was so impressed with her the way that she he said like like 90% of the success of this movie is because of Sandra Bullock and the way that she performed it wow. and the way that she brought reality to this movie. Because, you know, it's not that kind of like big dramatic, like Sophie's Choice performance. Yes. It is an action movie. So the so it's very rare that this gets nominated. So it's like you have to ask like, well, what? what warranted the nomination but it was all of the the um the actions and the emotions that she brought to the actions because there's really not a lot of dialogue here yeah it reminded me a lot of the the revenant and just in terms of a performance Mm -hmm. because it's like Mm -hmm. both actors are kind of lost in the wilderness and have to find their way out of it right yeah so it's it's similar in that sense uh what did you think about the movie and what did you think about the performance so i saw this movie in theaters 
And it was incredible. Like, I remember being completely awestruck of this film just from, you mm-hmm. know, the, all the technical achievements of it all. And I, I really love this movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, I felt quite captivated throughout the whole thing. I mean, even, you know, George Clooney with all his George Clooney-ness. Uh, in the film. Yeah, it's just so George Clooney-ness. Like a part of me was like, did anyone even write dialogue for him or is he just riffing the whole time? Because it's just so George Clooney. But uh, yeah. even with that being said, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Sandra Bullock's performance in this. I think she's great in it. I, I might even go so far as to say she didn't win for the blind side. Uh, earlier i think this could have been her oscar um Mm. a part of me quite jaded kyle i'm gonna ask you this question because i'm just you know i'm looking at this from a different lens now as a as an analyst on your podcast i thought to myself if kate winslet was in this role does she win Oh, right. That's very interesting because the disaster at the sea and now it's the disaster <laughs> in space. Yeah, like, and does, they're like, it's time. <laughs> like, is it? Yeah, because like, does she just bring that touch more emotionally to the performance? Because I felt, although I do think Sandra Bullock is great in this film, there mm-hmm. are moments where, you know, I, I would expect a bit more emotion and she's a bit more... Um, just a slight touch even killed does that make any sense as in like she was giving more of like a blockbuster summer movie performance rather than like a prestige drama performance yes like i know what you're saying because the whole time that i was watching it not that not that i was at all disappointed with her performance at all but i do remember being like Hmm. Like Sandra Bullock is an interest. It's kind of a random choice for a movie like this. Yeah. Cause there's moments where, um, because, I mean, obviously, like, the girl's going through it, right? Like she, Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's going in, through she's it. She's in space. She's lost. She has to get to two different space shuttle things. Like, there's the American in one. In Chinese. And then it's in, in Chinese. And then it's in <laughs> yes. Russian. And it's like, you know, she's trying to get her way back to Earth. And she's all alone. But there's moments where, like, she almost kind of, like, laughs to herself. Like, she's freaking out. And, mm-hmm. like, cool. Totally valid. But there's something about like those little moments where I'm like, if this were in the hands of a Kate Winslet, I think it's just a touch richer. Well, the one thing that I very much appreciated was um, whenever she loses communication with George Clooney and he's like floating off into space or whatever, she doesn't get emotional and like she has these like nerves of steel but the thing is is that like at the time because she was trying to get into the airlock it's like she does not have time for emotions that's true it's like she's like i gotta go and i think that that was like a choice because really the only emotional moment is when she's on the radio communicating with that person asking the dog to and that's your that's your oscar clip right there i know i know you i know you love an oscar clip I always, I need my, I'm like, what's the Oscar moment? I don't, and, and so for me, I was like, okay. And like, you're definitely rooting for her. And I just have to say, this isn't about this, this isn't about the performance, but can we just bring back hour and a half movies? Oh yeah. This movie is so like, we're, we get right into it. It's an hour and a half. It's like a crisp 90 minutes and we're, she lands on the earth and then of course she has to like drown for a second. You're like, Oh my God, fuck off. Yeah. Like there are so many it's to the bitter end. You know what? Yeah. Her, her gravity was my Coburg. Coburg was my gravity. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> Christmas was my gravity. Oh it was like I th- maybe this movie was triggering for me because I was like, <laughs> oh my god, like it's just one fucking thing after another, just yeah. one thing going wrong. Oh my god. And so um I just think that like the lack of emotion and the nerves of steel was also a choice which adds to the performance, which I also like very, very much respect. Um, but I, I, you know, I love like either way, like it's one hell of a ride. It's like the whole thing is about life and you have to go through it and you have to make yourself do it. You have to believe in yourself and you have to force yourself to go on the journey to overcome these emotional traumas. And, um, the only thing that I do not understand is if she could not get in contact with Houston during the entire fucking movie. And then she got into like a fucking Chinese space pod and landed in God knows where. And she's in the middle of nowhere. It's like, girl, if the radio isn't working, um, they are, they don't know where you are. Like they are not looking for you. Where are you? Yeah. I, I do think there are certain moments in this movie where I'm just like, there's no way someone actually survives that. But, of but that's also like the movies, right? Like that is right, yeah. <laughs> that is the movies. I mean, look, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna agree with you in terms of the choices she made. Um uh I just had to throw out the Kate Winslet question. And just in my mind, I was like, I just gotta throw this question out there. But no, I'm gonna agree with you in the choices that she made. I think she did a fantastic job in this. And again, I think if she didn't win for the blind side, which we all know is questionable, um, mm. I think she would have won for for this film. Oh, definitely. And that's everybody. That's kind of the thing that everybody says. Like when we did the episode for the blind mm-hmm. side with um, the guest host was Tim Riel. We very much touched on that where we were just like this movie for the time was probably like, wow. Oh, my God. Like white people solving racism. Like we're great. And then <laughs> you watch it like 10 years, 12 years later. And you're just like, oh, God, <laughs> this is a huge yikes of a film. Yeah, because um, it was that like what year was that? It was like the early like Obama years, and everyone was like, yeah. well, not everyone, but so, certain people were like, racism is over. Yeah, <laughs> we got it. We figured, and then the help came out, and we're like, see. Um, okay, so a couple of things about uh, this movie. So for most of Sandra Bullock's shots, she was placed inside a giant mechanical rig. Getting into the rig took a significant amount of time, so she chose to stay in it for up to 10 hours a day, communicating with others through a headset. Alfonso Cuaron said the biggest challenge was to make the set feel as inviting and non-claustrophobic as possible, and the team attempted to do this by having a celebration each day when, and when Sandy B arrived. They nicknamed the rig Sandy's Cage and gave it a lighted sign wow um although the film has received acclaim for its realism of its premises and its general adherence to physical principles director alfonso Cuaron has admitted that the film is not always scientifically accurate and that some liberties were taken to sustain the story one surviving surviving that fire no way oh i know or like no when she got caught with that like parachute when she was trying to get out of the oh, first station yeah, no. and then she's getting the second round of the debris and it all missed her you're like fuck off no anyone um, wasting their time trying to uh, figure out the science of this movie no stop it yeah i know uh one huge exception to the realism is the depiction of the astronauts dangling from a long strap in zero gravity nothing dangles um and Ooh. as there is no center fugal force involved astronauts would have simply bounced back if they had it would have ruined the drama that follows oh wow 
And uh, fun little fact, I mean, obviously I picked up on the voice immediately, but the off-screen voice of Mission Control is Ed Harris, who was also played the actual NASA flight director, um, Gene Kranz in Apollo 13, and John Glenn in The Right Stuff in 1983. Mm. So there you go. I do have another fact here, but it's literally like four paragraphs long, but I'm not going to read it because it's, we're running Can you not summarize it? Ah, she Sandy Sandy B spent six months in physical training for the film. Um, and uh, well, I, oh, uh, James Cameron, best friend of Quaron, was a huge fan of the film. Said that uh, Sandy B, she's the one that had to take on this unbelievable challenge to perform it. Um, it was probably no less demanding than Cirque du Soleil performer from what I can see. And there's an art to that, to creating moments that seem spontaneous, but are very highly rehearsed and choreographed and not too many people can do that. I think it's really important for people in Hollywood to understand what was accomplished here. Mm. So if James Cameron said that something was accomplished by her performance, you know, there you go. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you have anything else that you would like to add to her performance before we move on? No, I think it's great. Hey, Best Actress listeners, enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning, ad-free, by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon, where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. Okay, so let's talk about Amy Adams in American Hustle very quickly. Um, um, American Hustle, I mean, we already touched on this uh, with the Lupita Nyong'o episode, Mm. so... uh, I'm not going to be repeating a lot of facts about this movie because we're going to be focusing on Amy Adams and that horrible British accent. <laughs> a, con- <laughs> um, a con man, Irving Rosenfeld, along with his seductive partner, Sidney Prosser, who is Amy Adams, is forced to work for a wild FBI agent, Richie DeMasso, who is um, Bradley Cooper. And I'm not mad at the curly hair, which at the time I was like, ew, but now I'm like, he's hot. That's who pushes so them funny. into a world of Jersey power breakers, uh, power brokers and the mafia. So I did obviously watch this movie recently, a few months back, whenever we did this podcast. And just the one thing that always stands out to me is how terrible Amy Adams is British. She's like, hello, I am Amy Adams and I am British. It's almost like a Moira Rose in a way, um, like from Schitt's Creek. Like it was just this like (laughs) lazy ass British accent. And the most unconvincing scene of the movie is when she goes like this to Bradley Cooper and then she goes like this this to Bradley Cooper and he goes what happened to your amazing British accent are you deceiving me what do you mean it was so bad we all knew it was the stupidest it was the worst British accent I agree I thought we all knew at that point so I was more shocked that his character didn't know when that moment happened you know and listen but that's uh, also part of the writing Oh, of course. But the thing is, is like what I love about the Amy Adams in this. I mean, come on, it's Amy Adams. Like she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. It's like what I love about this character is that she is an extremely gifted con artist who also uses her sexuality to empower herself and uses it to like weaponize that against men to get what she wants. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily like the 
all she is. Like there's more to her character than just, you know, sex and, and the, and the confidence and like all that. Like she's also a master manipulator and she's kind of the one that's like running the show really. And they also kind of said the same thing about like Jennifer Lawrence about um, her in the story as well, because she's also manipulating, um, uh, she's also manipulating, uh, oh my God, help me out here. Christian uh, Bale? Ba- Christian Bale. Oh my God. I'm like Batman. Uh, <laughs> she's also clearly- manipulating Batman. She's manipulating Batman, which is, you know, no short feat, right? But uh, she, uh, maybe his weakness is just women, but like, I love the power that she has in this movie. I love um, her performance, but God, that British accent is unforgivable. I'm sorry. It's so bad. Um, anyway, yeah. what did you think about this movie? And what did you Listen, think? Listen, I, I completely agree with you about the, the British accent. <laughs> like, I was like, why is this fooling people? She's I just know. like, I'm Edith and I have banking connections in London. Exactly. And it's like, okay. I don't know why no one I don't know why no one caught on. Um <laughs> she has great moments in this film. Um, you know, like her in like sort of like the 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 dry cleaning business that Christian Bale has and like the clothes passing by them on that rack while they're gazing into each other's eyes. Like like there's fun um cinematic okay. moments for No, her. I need to stop you. I need to stop you, you right there because moment? I'm not even do- No, no, no. I literally wrote down quote, I fantasize about the dry cleaning vault free expensive clothes scene. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really fun. I think she carries the first half of this movie a lot more than the second half of this film. Sure. Um which is, you know, obviously no fault to her own. She's stunning, like stunningly mm-hmm. gorgeous throughout the whole movie. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I do believe her i mean yeah the the accent's unforgivable but i do (laughs) i mean i do believe her that this is who she is and this is her life and you know she's chosen this life and i believe she's in in love with with christian bale's character and all of the things like she's she's convincing in in all of it but i think um you know to me this is a bit more of a christian bale showcase in terms of acting than it is an Amy Adams uh, showcase for, for acting. Does that make sense? I find him so sexy in this movie. <laughs> like sexy. Yeah, like real <laughs> sexy douchebag kind of yeah. vibes. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, even though they've made him... Also that, that um, bald wig that they have on him at the beginning and then he's trying to yeah. like comb over his hair very fake yeah. looking i'm sorry yeah <laughs> it's very very fake looking um but you know whatever that all of that aside i mean to me this film i do think amy adams is great in it i will say that mm-hmm. but the film is a bit more style over substance for me mm-hmm. and i yeah. think in terms of acting it is a stronger showcase for christian bale than it is for amy adams um uh, no fault of her own and um yeah, I, I don't know. Like, to me, it's it's okay. I mean, the first time I saw this movie, I hated it. The second time I watched it for this podcast, I actually really liked it. Watching it back again, I'll be honest with you, I was definitely on my phone because, like, you know, I just watched it. I got yeah. the gist. But um, Jennifer Lawrence scene- annoys me in this movie. Oh, my God. I know. Everyone, like, loves her in this movie. I don't know what I, it is about Jennifer Lawrence. but it's like too young I'm- for the role. 
Yeah, like there's something about her where she does these like weird accents where it's like, I'm very aware that I'm watching Jennifer Lawrence. I love Jennifer Lawrence, but like everyone was like, oh my God, like the emotional depth that Jennifer Lawrence brought to this this role and and oh my God, like because she was odds on favorite to win. She won the BAFTA and she won the Golden Globe. So everyone was expecting her to win this Oscar over Lupita. And I literally was like- That would be a crime. I don't, that would have been an absolute be. crime. I would I would be very surprised if she won this Oscar, but I yeah, watching it back again, I'm literally just like I don't I'm not. Well, very I mean, and her accent is pretty annoying in this film. Like half the time she's from New Jersey, the other half of the time she's <laughs> from Boston, then she's from I'm New York. It's kind of all over the place a bit for me. Um, and she yeah, and again, well, she's just way too young. Like I think she's obviously she's a great actress, but she's mm-hmm. too young for this role. Like for a woman who has a child who. Uh, is tethering to this man because she lacks options anywhere else. She's a little too young and pretty for all of that, I think. I think so too. Um, but the two scenes that I really enjoyed with Amy Adams is when she demands that there's four cons and not three. And then she's like, trust me, like you'll thank me later. Mm. She's very much in control. And it's like, also because uh, Christian Bale is still with his wife, Jennifer Lawrence, it's like, she, in a way, Amy Adams is kind of like conning Christian Bale. So she's kind of like one step ahead of him. And the emotion that she brings to that scene whenever like the FBI are now getting involved and they have to work with the FBI. It's she's like, she's so calculated and she knows what she has to do. And she's she's very emotional about it, but she's also like very determined. And she's like not taking any fucking bullshit from Christian Bale. Do keep in mind, though, that the majority of this movie is actually improvised. There wasn't like a set script. Really? Yes. So a lot of the moments, and I think that the biggest improvised moment for me personally was, and I don't, I didn't read this anywhere. I'm just assuming is when Jennifer Lawrence kisses Amy Adams. Oh yeah. She's like, yeah, like we all make toxic, uh, you know, bad decisions. And then she kisses her and then she walks away. And I'm like, I don't, I still do. I still do not understand that scene. I do not understand what that was. I feel like for the character, it was supposed to be like, she just does what she wants. I just don't think it was effective. Um, also, the whole thing with their relationship being a metaphor with the the nail polish that's like, it's sweet and it stinks at the same time. Yeah, Like the good and the bad. And then at the end, she gives him back the nail polish symbolizing that their relationship was done. I thought that was so stupid. I think they could have used a better device rather than the nail polish. I agree. Um, and I also think it's really sad how Jer- Jeremy Renner has to go down in the story because he genuinely just got caught up in all of this and he's definitely a sympathetic character in this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Lady Edith Grinsley was, no thanks. <laughs> um, so a couple, couple facts about this film. So this film is a fictionalized telling of the Ab Scam, short for Abdul Scam, scandal of the late 1970s and early 1980s, where an FBI operation that began as an investigation of trafficking in stolen property, uh, but was later expanded to include political corruption. Carmine Polito was based on real-life mayor of Camden, New Jersey, Angelo Arichetti, probably pronouncing that wrong, but whatever, who was snared in the Ab scam scandal. So Carmen Polito was Jeremy Renner uh, and served three years in prison uh, on bribery charges. And he died at the age 84 in 2013, only a few months before this movie was released. And this movie is tied with the Irishman gangs of New York and true grit for the third highest number of Academy awards with no wins at 10 following the turning point and the color purple at 11. Wow. Yeah. 
I can see that though. This movie I think was very polarizing. This movie Great performances, was though. polarizing for sure. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, even all the points you're talking about too, that scene with the, with the kiss and everything, I have to completely agree with you. They didn't completely work for me either, uh, for all mm-hmm. the reasons that you said. I do think, yeah, there are definitely great performances in this despite everything. Um, but yeah, it's one of those movies where you're like, okay, this is a good movie, mm-hmm. but it, it, but there's just been so many great movies about the mafia about about con artists uh, and it, i just don't feel like it stacks up with all the other greats no absolutely i agree with you but yeah great performance and i love um revisiting this movie you know uh, maybe a little too soon uh mm-hmm. but Amy Adams is just, yeah, like she's smart, she's strong, she's sexy. I love the uh, 1970s, like, um, costume and the hair. Oh, and, like, yeah. It the, just... the, it's, uh, yeah, it's a stunning movie, just visually. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very fun movie, but uh, I remember the first time I watched it, I very much didn't like it, but this was a fun revisit and a great performance by Amy Adams. Mm-hmm. Do I think that she could have won the Oscar for this? Like, mm, probably not, but she did win the Golden Globe, and I think that's her victory. Yeah, that sounds about right. Do you watch these, Um, uh, I think his name's Brian Rowe on YouTube, and he's like, Amy Adams in the elusive yeah. Oscar. <laughs> Yeah, I watch all of those videos. Yeah, I I do enjoy his his content. I don't know if he listens to the shout out to him if he does. Uh, I do enjoy his content. Sometimes his voice gets a little whiny for me. Oh my god, I was gonna (laughs) say it's like this is the one. I know the cadence. I I struggle with a little bit, but I was just like, I don't think she should have won an Oscar for this movie at all. Um. Not oh to give gosh. away my pick or anything. So, you know, there's plenty of other movies to discuss still. But, yeah, I don't think, you know, for all the Amy Adams uh, performances, this is truly it. That's so – it's interesting, um, though, because, yeah, I, he – Brian Rowe, he is very much gunning for um, Angela Bassett to win for Black Panther Wakanda. Mm-hmm. And what I think is so insane was he actually called it like months ago being like, she will probably be nominated for this. And I was like, Oh yeah. Right. And then she was nominated for the golden globe. And I was like, Whoa, Whoa. Oh, like, the yeah, movie hadn't even nominated come out. for sure. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't know. Oh, it's uh, but really good. I, it's just kind of crazy the way that he called it like, a long yeah, time I, ago. I, uh, I follow him and I, I also follow um, these YouTubers called the Oscar experts. They're like these twin guys and oh. they follow the race all year round, and and they've also been calling it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, okay. Uh, let's um, just for time's sake, let's move on to Meryl Streep in August Osage County. Oh my god! I, having obviously seen like a lot of these movies recently, kind of just skipped through a lot of them. Girl, I did not skip through this one. I fucking love this movie. Very quickly, I look at the lives of these strong-willed women of the Weston family whose paths have diverged until a family crisis brings them back to Oklahoma, to the Oklahoma house they grew up in, um, and to the dysfunctional woman who raised them. And Beverly, uh, the patriarch of the family, um, committed suicide in a motel and this is the family crisis that brings them all together and the funeral and such so this movie is absolutely fucked it's like um it's a really a disfun- uh, interesting description of the of the film yeah it's like a dysfunctional family dream uh on 
on film and Meryl Streep is the matriarch of the house. And she is so, she comes into the movie being extremely rude and racist. She's not wearing her wig. She has mouth cancer. She's smoking a cigarette. And it's like, I'm sorry. Like we all love whenever Meryl Streep plays these wholesome roles, like whenever she played um, Julia Child, which it's so funny. My microphone is actually propped up right now on a Julia Child cookbook. Um, but anyway, that's I digress. Uh, we, we love when she plays like Julia Child or like Florence Foster Jenkins. But my favorite, I think that this is a lot of the gays feel this way, is just when she's a fucking monster. I love when she's just evil. And this movie delivers that. And it's just like, oh, my God, like Every scene with Meryl Streep is just, I can't take my eyes off of her. And I love when she's just mean and nasty and evil. But she justifies all of her actions by saying that she's no bullshit. She's just a truth person. So if you call her like an addict, if you call her a bitch, if you call her anything, it's like she doesn't get mad about that because she's like, yeah, no, that's the truth. Because her whole character is that she keeps um, like truth above all else And I love the consistency of that throughout her character because you sort of understand like why she's so terrible because she had such a traumatic childhood and she's just comparing her awful abusive childhood to the, in her mind, luxurious spoiled life that her children had, even though they all think that she's fucking terrible, which she is. But I love the idea of perspective that they play with, especially like generationally, Um, that I think a lot of people, and I mean myself personally, like, you know, I'm in my like early thirties. It's like, there are things generation, generationally, like with my parents that I get so frustrated by, but then I'm sure there's things in our generation being millennials that like, they get so frustrated by with us. And so it's just sort of interesting the way that they kind of played with that. Also, there's so many fucked up things in this movie. You have themes of incest. Um, there is domestic violence. There is uh, underage. there's like a weird, like underage, moment with like little miss sunshine mm-hmm. it's just a fucked up movie but like oh my god i love watching this film i love julia roberts in it my favorite line is eat the fish bitch Ugh, just it's it's everything that i want from julia and from from meryl i just love 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 anyway what did you think of the movie what did you think of the performance okay i i hate this movie actually <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's so funny. I actually hate this movie. So, I mean, I guess I didn't look at it from the perspective of like, if I wanted to write a film about the most dysfunctional family ever and just had like a dysfunctional family, like fantasy, like what would it be? Sure. Maybe perhaps. Um, but there, my issue with this film is that there is not a single sympathetic character in the entire thing not you know and and that really bugged me and the other thing that really bugged me is um so there's okay there's an indigenous character in this film and Mm -hmm. she plays essentially the family help fine um she is the only voice of reason in the entire movie and she has no voice and I couldn't get past that mm-hmm. because for mm-hmm. me, it's like, there's nothing wrong. Okay. If you want to have a, a, a movie about a, a racist family and there's racist characters in the film, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the fact that your voice of reason doesn't have a voice makes me feel like the film itself is racist, not just the characters. 
But I mean, the blind side just came out. Like they already saw <laughs> this, this, this movie. So came I out. just, I just can't get past that. And I think, like you know, even with her character, you know, she plays the help. She's not part of the family directly. She doesn't have a voice. She doesn't really have a say in what's going on. Although she has a great moment where she she beats up this man with a shovel for trying to hit on an underage girl. Good for her. Really yeah. loved that she did that. But yeah. I think, you know, there's a moment towards the end of this film, which is actually like a brilliant scene where they're, you know, uh, Meryl Streep and Julia, Julia Roberts. And um, I believe, wait, which which of the sisters is still in the scene? Anyway, it's like when they when they have this like catfish and they're like smashing their plates on the ground and like she had just made all this food for them and they're smashing their plates with the food on it on the ground and you know she kind of goes up to her quarters like whatever her living arrangements are but really like realistically she would have heard that and i think she could have come down seen what they've done seen the disrespect that they have Mm -hmm. for her food for you know the effort that she makes to keep the home up and i think she could have just walked out so it's not even like you're giving her a ton of lines she could have just seen that and been like, bitch, I'm out. <laughs> that gives her agency. That does give her a voice. Like her actions give her a voice. And I think Meryl Streep's character is so despicable that she doesn't deserve anyone left at the end of this, not even the help. And I um, and I just felt that was a, a, a massive missed opportunity. And I think that's because uh, the makers of this film were too racist to see it. I'm just going to put that <laughs> straight up. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, shout out then to Misty Upham, who played yes. um, Jonna, who was the the help. Yes. Um, shout out to her. With, yeah. uh, with all that being said, I think what you said about all their performances are fantastic. So everything you said is still true about the film. It's just I couldn't get past that. I also find that Margot Martindale is also very underused um, in this movie because she is also pretty awful as well. Um, I found her relationship with her son, Benedict Cumberbatch, in the film was uh, very interesting Um, for me because when we did this episode, I think I picked uh, Julia Roberts um, as my pick over Lupita Nyong'o because I just love Did you really? I I love this fucking movie. I love a dysfunctional family drama. Um, I think that even remember when she Meryl Streep tells the story about like the boots that she really wanted. And then her mother like gave her like these dirty work boots with holes in it covered in dog shit. And then Julie Roberts is like, please tell me that's not the end of the story. But it's just that is the thing with her character is she just tells the truth. She doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a moral of the story. She's just telling it how it is. And for me, um, I, you know, as a stand-up comic, like truth, it's like I value that above everything else. And I guess maybe also too, because like, I don't think of Meryl Streep as a real person in this movie. I think of it as just Meryl Streep being an amazing character and like a new incarnation of Meryl Streep. So I think because I'm not looking at it like a, as a real person, I guess like I don't find her as despicable because I just, it's all, you know, it's all made up and it's all fun. Although I do think that this play won like the Pulitzer prize for like best drama, like whenever this came out. Um, But you know, she has zero chill in this movie. It's just nonstop confrontation um, and fighting. Um, And she, 
finds it really funny, like fucking with people, especially whenever she's high. Um, I also love the scene whenever Julia Roberts goes and confronts the doctor who had prescribed her so much medication that she, uh, Meryl, or Meryl Streep's uh, Violet had endured actual brain damage from the amount of prescription pills that mm-hmm, she was on. Mm-hmm. This is actually something that happened to my grandmother um, like before she died. Mm. Um, and whenever Julia Roberts is like calling out the doctor, it was like an Aaron Brockovich moment. And this is everything that we want. Um, this is everything that I'm living for. Um, and I love whenever she just says such brutal things where she's like, wouldn't it be better if we stopped lying about these things and told the truth about women? Whenever it's like women aren't sexy when they're old, they just get older. And she's so mean to Juliette Lewis whenever she's like, no mom, like you're still beautiful. And she's like, oh, fuck off. She's like, women, women aren't beautiful as they get older. And you're starting to prove that you're just like, like, it's just so awful and evil and like she's just so terrible and i'm sorry but like i'm just i'm living for it no that i mean look the performances in this movie are fantastic like everyone is extremely convincing in all their roles and maybe in in part aside from the the points that i made in part that might have contributed to why I don't like it because everyone in this movie is so awful, but they're just so convincing in how awful they are. Like there's no yeah. real redeemable person in my mind in this movie. No. And, yeah. um, but that just means they all did a fantastic job with it. I could see why actors would look at this film and be like, I need to be a part of it. That's why it's such a stacked cast. Um, yeah. You know, but I just, I think this movie would have been served if there was just someone who was just like a little on the redeemable side of things. Just somebody, anybody. My God. It's like it's like hard to sit through at times, you know? I know, but I just But I don't you know. but I, you I, love I, the drama. You're here for the drama. You're here the for the drama. drama. <laughs> That's well, your Abigail Breslin. Thing. Yeah. She was kind of redeemable, I guess, because she's like innocent in the situation I yeah guess. sure sure that's that's um, fair but she's f- such a small part of it um, i didn't even realize it was abigail breslin to be honest i oh i, I didn't know, realize yeah. that until after so i mean shout out to her very very great actress yeah everyone's really good in this julia roberts is great in this meryl streep is freaking meryl streep in this movie right like mm-hmm. there's there's no doubt about it like everyone brings it to this script a thousand percent everyone brings it everyone is doing the most and for that i i do agree it is great for that everyone is really bringing it i just i just found it really i was like why am i supposed to care about any of these people that was a question i was asking myself throughout the film was why do i care about anyone in this film I feel like it just doesn't give me a reason to care about one singular person in this movie. And I just found that hard, you know, and and then also it's like they're American and they're from the South and there's incest. And I'm like, wow, we're just like really leaning into stereotypes here. Like, True. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, and they're racist and they're sexist. And it's just like, oh, my God. I love whenever she calls out Dermot Mulrooney for being married three times and she's like, I knew it. She's like, I called it. And I just love the way, where are my smokes? Like I just, anyway, yeah. I, that was my, 
that was my favorite. Yeah, you but, know what? I mean, maybe if I just watched it from a different lens and just yeah. tried to have fun <laughs> with the fucked upness of it all, then maybe I would have more fun. But I just, um, yeah, this was my first time watching it. I didn't know what it was about. I, I went into this movie blind and I was just like, what in the <laughs> what is happening? Well, that's like a perfectly fair, you know, um, opinion because you're not wrong i just i love despicable people in in film um, yeah and, and even like the points that i made about just like the film itself not uh being in my opinion racist and not just the characters i don't think that's a perspective i would have had in 2013 sure when this came yeah. out i think that's a perspective i have today and not a perspective i would have had then so you know um things change well so Jane Fonda, Sissy Spacek, Jessica Lange, Glenn Close, and Annette Benning were all mentioned as possibilities to play Violet. But the Ooh, way that Sissy I understand Spacek it, Sissy Spacek could have been good in this. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, actually, I mean, is anyone Meryl Streep good? No, she's Meryl Streep. But I think Sissy Spacek could have been good in this. I would have said Jane. I would have picked Jane Fonda actually. Ooh. Okay. I think she would have been really. I just picture Sissy Glenn. Spacek as just so southern already. True, but like Jane Fonda, what was that movie that she was in where she actually had like Oscar buzz at one point? It came out like somewhat recently. It was like the Something Hotel. Um, she was nominated for a Golden Globe for it. I'm just gonna look this up. Youth, the movie called Youth. Oh, okay. And she kind of is like this old actress that's just over it and she's having none of it. I could see her mm. kind of blending into the this bitchy part of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's very fair. Um, okay. Well, do you have anything that you would like to add to Meryl's performance before we move on to our winner? Look, she's Meryl Streep for a reason. She's the GOAT. Uh, she proves it once again in this film. And mm. and yeah, she's she's brilliant. She's A tier. She's in that Whitney Houston. Mariah Carey, Celine Dion. Let's add Aretha Franklin to that tier. You know what I mean? Like she's just she's just in that tier. What can you say? She's great in everything. I love it. Okay, uh, ditto. Okay, so let's talk about Kate Blanchett in Blue Jasmine. So this was her second Oscar. The first was for The Aviator, playing Catherine Hepburn. And in Blue Jasmine, very quickly, a New York socialite, deeply troubled and in denial, arrives in San Francisco to impose upon her sister. She looks like a million dollars and isn't bringing money, peace, or love. I don't think that we need to touch on Woody Allen. I think HBO has done enough <laughs> talking about that. Also, um, we obviously covered a lot of this whenever we um, talked about Sally Hawkins in a supporting role, who was also amazing mm -hmm. in this movie. Her nomination was totally makes sense to me. Um <clears throat> But I love the way that this movie opens on the misconception where she's talking to the woman on the plane and it looks like it's her friend and she's talking about, oh, I'm going to see my sister. Oh, things aren't working out. Oh, you know, and it's like, oh, she's with her girlfriend on the plane in first class, this rich white woman. And she has that kind of like, do you ski voice like down pat like very well, that very waspy sort of upper west side New York sort of she definitely nails the voice and the look i mean it's Kate blanchett also like on the merrill level like you're yeah. saying the whitney mariah um celine level and um she the misconception at the beginning and the misdirection is that it looks like it's her friend but then when they're waiting for their bags when this woman that she's talking to gets her bag she goes to her husband and she's like oh my god this woman would not stop talking to me about her fucking life and would not shut the fuck up and you're like oh and that's such a great hook 
into the story, like as an audience member. This is also a movie that I did not skip through. And I actually sat and I watched like the entire thing because you truly cannot take your eyes off of this unhinged performance of Kate Blanchett, the looks that she gives, the insanity of the scenes, the anxiety that you have watching her being like, is she going to fucking lose it? And just the way that she brings that tension to the screen and to the performance, this is one of Kate Blanchett's best. I totally see like why she was nominated for and won this Oscar. It's certainly one of her best performances. And I, the more I watch this movie, the more that it grows on me. Cause I always found it very awkward whenever I watched it the first couple times around. But for me, ever since I saw this movie, like when it came out, my friend Leah and I, like my best friend, like the quote was, I mean, who do you have to screw around here for a Stoli Martini with a twist of lemon? Like we just <laughs> would always say that to each other. And it's just, um, I really enjoyed revisiting it and I really enjoyed this performance. So what'd you think? Okay, I'm going to try and keep my, my my thoughts and my tangents here slightly brief, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Okay, I um, love that you have a different perspective. I do have a different... So this, uh, this is also my first time watching this film. And um, this film is a ripoff of A Streetcar Named Desire. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I don't understand why everyone thinks this movie is like fresh in any way (laughs) like i just don't like i like i'm trying to you know putting the the woody allen biases aside like even when you talk about like oh like she has the 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 opening with her on the plane and she's talking to this woman and you think it's a friend and then you find out it's a stranger i mean to me that was first of all i didn't think it was her friend i kind of knew from the beginning this was a stranger but for me it is you know i'm not going to call it lazy but it's awfully convenient <laughs> from a writing perspective because you're just getting to know her character and her circumstance through this convenient setup. And I think like, you know, everybody kind of attributes this to like Woody Allen's like quote unquote charm as as a filmmaker. But I'm like, it's just kind of lazy, to be honest. And like there's several moments in this film that I think are are awfully convenient let's call it that instead of lazy let's call them awfully convenient moments um (laughs) that spark throughout the film that that really annoyed me and i think um only because he's woody allen does he get away with literally ripping off a classic movie a streetcar named desire and giving it just enough of a modern twist and you know like another convenient moment was um uh the character played by andrew dice clay um who is now like the ex-husband of her sister just happens to bump into her in front yeah augie happens to bump into her in front of the jewelry store where she's about to pick out a ring with her new bow i mean why is he there why is he there there's no reason for him to be in this part of the city uh in this time of the day uh at all Uh, he he he's a laborer he works in various forms of construction why isn't he at work like it just doesn't make sense it's just these like weird convenient like i'm woody allen and everyone's gonna think i'm quirky by doing this here and he gets away with it And I think any other filmmaker who isn't as famous and as powerful as he is would get away with doing that in their writing. I think they would be called lazy and I think it gets thrown out. So with all Mm. of that being said, 
do I think the performance is good? The performance is fucking fantastic. And that is why I have such a hard time figuring out how I feel about this movie. Oh my God. That is, I literally wrote down that thing whenever she's with Peter Sarsgaard and they're like picking out a ring and then she runs into Augie. I literally wrote that down myself. I was literally like random question mark. Like I was like, that's so weird that he would just happen to be there. Like, I I agree with you. That was like a little lazy, like on the writing side. And you're right. It probably would have been called out if it was anybody else other than. Other than Woody um, Allen. Yeah. But, you know, when you're talking about because uh, I've never seen a streetcar named Desire, but I did read that this uh, the storyline is loosely based about the 1947 play A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. I did have that as one of the little trivia facts here. But, ooh, like maybe we should do that as like another episode for. um uh, I would love to. It's a fantastic. It's. I mean, obviously, like it was a play before it's a movie. But even a, a, as a movie from the fifties, it's a fantastic film. Like I just think, like you know, if you put any of the great films of the fifties, you know, like like Twelve Angry Men or North by Northwest or you know, you name it, and put them in the hands of a of a modern capable screenwriter it is not a massive challenge to give it a a modern twist i mean it's only like a few twists away from it not being a full-on like no it's no i'm sorry i'm being too harsh it's definitely not a remake but yeah i mean (laughs) but it's it's so much like a streetcar named desire that it's ridiculous from the research i did that he wouldn't call it just a straight up homage like I heard like I when I was trying to read about it it's like there's certain critics that have pointed out that this film is basically Streetcar Named Desire but I didn't see that he that Woody Allen himself officially declared it as that and Mm. and so if I'm wrong about that I apologize but I didn't see that he officially declared it as that and I think that is gross because it's too similar to not well now I need to see a streetcar named Desire with Vivian Lee because she won the Oscar for that. Yes, and Kate Blanchett played Blanche Dubois in theater, so this isn't even her first time doing the role. Oh, okay. I I mean, I I did I did read that. Um, but again, is I, she fantastic in this? Absolutely, she is. And yeah. one good thing I will say about the film is the last twenty minutes of this film absolutely gripped me. The last 20 minutes of this film completely captivated me. It is all thanks to Kate Blanchett. She, you know, went because she has like a an estranged son in this film, which is unlike A Streetcar Named Desire. That's probably the biggest difference is that in this film, she has an estranged son. And uh, that mo- like the moments of him coming coming back into the film and um her sort of like you know deterioration into to madness i guess um in these last 20 minutes absolutely captivated me she is Kate blanchett for a reason she's top tier for a reason my god even though <laughs> i was screaming at this film throughout a lot of it um she still she still got me well, because in a way, it's like this could be like a one note performance of Upper West Side Karen going crazy. Mm-hmm. And she makes it extremely complicated, extremely layered, because 
it was like the only time that she ever kind of seemed like quote unquote, like normal was whenever she was with Peter Sarsgaard and she was back in that sort of like fantasy world that she had created for herself. But then whenever things would start to deteriorate, it's like, that's when she would have that look on her face and then she would start to ramble or talk to herself and they don't really talk about it a lot, but she mentions that she went through electro electro thought, electroshock therapy she was found on the streets by the police and they didn't show it but you see the way that her character it's like a full journey for the mm-hmm, character like mm-hmm. mentally emotionally i guess kind of physically in a way um just based on what it looks like on her fucking faces one of my favorite lines from the movies was when they're at like these stuffy rich people fundraisers you know, charity events because rich people, what do they do with their money? We'll just give it away to poor people. And you hear one of the women like, this year you're coming to Palm Beach. No excuses. Like, I love (laughs) just like waspy conversations. And I love, and I think that um, I, this time around watching it, I really understood the, because it is a comedy first, then a drama. And I actually understand that the, comedy is very much like that Kate Blanchett, this super rich waspy upper West side woman has to slum it with the rest of us. And that's the comedy portion of it. And I don't know if I ever really picked up on that until this viewing, because the last time I was so focused on Sally Hawkins Mm. Um, and you know, it's like the one thing that I found annoying and confusing was Kate Blanchett knew exactly who Jasmine was and how to play her. But then you had people like Chili, who was um, Sally Hawkins's new boyfriend, who just kept like pushing her buttons, even though she clearly physically was like her body language was very much like, leave me alone, where he's like, hey, like he wants to get your number and she's like clearly like almost in tears and she's like i don't i don't we clearly didn't hit it off i clearly didn't like him and then be like hey like i heard you had a breakdown it's like read the room chili like what are you yeah. doing she's well, clearly going through a lot like fuck off bad writing over explaining convenient yeah bullshit, honestly but also I, bobby cannaval underrated hottie oh my god uh yeah, i think he's a super underrated he he's the marlon brando of this film FYI. He is. He's oh, the, Mar- yeah, he's so the Marlon Brando of this film, for sure. Although he has car. less of a role in this than in A Streetcar Named Desire, um, but still, yeah, that's his. That's his role. That's absolutely what he's doing. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I feel like I, another con- like another thing that bothered me was um when they're driving away from the jewelry store. And um, and Peter Sarsgaard says he's like, you're manipulative, just like your ex-husband or, or something to that effect. And I'm like, stop explaining it to us. Yeah, <laughs> we get it. We get it. You don't have to keep explaining it to us. It's just so annoying. But again, I mean, Kate Blanchett, like in every moment, like she captures that waspiness brilliantly. Another moment that I really like love slash hated of hers was when she talks about being a, a receptionist at a, at a dental office. And she's like, oh, the work is just so menial. And just the way she says menial, <laughs> the work is just so menial. I mean, what does it even mean? And it's like, bitch, you didn't even work before this. Yeah, you weren't even working. Oh, the work is just so menial. I mean, oh my God. But that is how rich people are. 
So, yeah. you know. I just, she was always on the verge. And it's like that look. Um, so in Sophia Loren's memoir, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, My Life. Yesterday, Tomorrow, That's, that's the week, name of it? Yeah, It's, it's next like a Thursday. parody of a memoir title. <laughs> um, the screen legend Sophia Loren reveals that she um, still absorbs inspiration from other actors to enhance her own acting portrayals, saying, quote, Recently, I was struck by the last scene in Blue Jasmine where Kate Blanchett has an expression on her face I'd never seen before. That expression crept inside me and it lies there waiting to germinate a new plant, a new flower, Mm. end quote. Because that scene where she's on the bench and everything has come crashing down and the woman's like, "Uh, I'm going to pick up my stuff here. I'm going to get off the bench and leave. This woman is crazy. And they kind of just like, it just kind of ends there. Mm -hmm. Um, God. It was just, yeah, that's a very intense scene. Um, And uh, because Woody Allen doesn't go into motivation or background of a character when he's directing actors, Kate Blanchett and Sally Hawkins got together and invented the background for the sisters' relationship. So every scene when they talk about their past, although it's vague on the script and for the viewer, they both knew exactly what the sisters are talking about. So it was kind of like their own little thing to bring reality. And Kate Blanchett studied um, the 60 Minutes 1968 interview with Ruth Madoff, the wife of disgraced Wall Street swindler Bernie Madoff, mm-hmm. to emulate certain vocal inflections and body language that Ruth displayed in order to capture the essence of a woman whose once wealthy and privileged world comes crumbling down around her. Uh, I think that Bernie Madoff uh, documentary actually just came out on Netflix. I think Daniel's watching that. He likes it. But um, she's the one that ends up calling the FBI on Alec Baldwin. And then she's the emotional wreck because she finds out that, like, he's been having affairs with so many people. And it's like, once her little fantasy of uh, being spoiled and rich and not having to work and being taken care of and just going for lunch with the girls, it's like, anytime that that one little chip in the mirror would exist or a crack in the mirror would exist or whatever the expression is. Maybe not mirror. I don't know. Uh, I need to improve my writing skills, but (laughs) it's like, but it's like, she just crumbles like emotionally. And it's so funny because she's calling out Sally Hawkins for not believing in herself more and wanting more for herself and working hard. It's like, yeah, but the second that your little bubble of reality is, you know, um, not what you think it's supposed to be. It's like you completely emotionally shut down. So she's just a very flawed, complicated, layered uh, person. And it felt very real, amazing performance. And uh, yeah, I totally see why she was nominated for and I totally see why she won the Oscar. Yeah, I think this was one of those moments where um, the Academy saw an opportunity to give Kate Blanchett a second Oscar because she is of the tier to have multiple Oscars. Um, and she, at this point, had given performance after performance after performance uh, that have all just been brilliant, still does. And and I think um, I think the politics of who to vote for and when um, heavily influenced this decision. And I think this is a difficult decision, actually. There's a lot of great performances this year. Okay, so do I think we should maybe pick who we think that the Oscars should have gone to. Okay. So you are my guest of honor. So please reveal who you think that the Oscars should have gone to first. I think the Oscar should go to... Sandra Bullock for Gravity. 
Okay. Oh my God. Why? Um, I think the challenge of this performance versus the execution is absolutely brilliant. In this rewriting of history, she does not win for the blind side. So this is her first Oscar. And I think <laughs> it would be uh, very well deserved. Uh, let me justify really quickly not giving it to Kate Blanchett. Although, again, she's brilliant in this role. I, I agree. She is absolutely brilliant in this movie. Um, I don't believe the role is a challenge for her. Um, a, because she's played the role before in theater so this is not even her first time doing it and b all these rich white actresses know exactly who this woman is i think them being a receptionist at a dentist office is their literal worst nightmare and i don't <laughs> think it's actually uh, the stretch that they claim it to be for her and i think kate blanchett has even though this is a such a great performance i think in her in her uh, filmography has even better performances that I would reward uh, instead of this. I love it. Okay. Um, I think that the Oscar should have gone to... Sandra Bullock for Gravity. I, I actually agree with you. And I completely agree with every single word that you're saying, because for me, Kate Blanchett is the actor that is rewarded for the wrong roles, which is very common at the Oscars. Yes. It's all very political and, um, you know, rewarding people at the right time. And then they're like, oh shit, maybe we missed an opportunity. For me, I think that Kate Blanchett should have two Oscars. I think yes. that it should be notes on a scandal. She had to fucking make out yes. with a 15 year old. Ew. And <laughs> for, Elizabeth over Gwyneth Paltrow for Shakespeare yes. in Love. Fuck off with that yes. bullshit. So she should have two Oscars, but maybe not necessarily for um, The Aviator or for uh, Blue Jasmine, which obviously they're she, she incredible. She basically played Bob Dylan. And yes, I'm not saying yes. like, that woman has played Bob Dylan. Like she yes. has so many like, it's just so weird that like she, to me, Kate Blanchett is just that actress that just has um, the right amount of Oscars for the wrong movies. Yes. And so for me, um, I would give it to Sandra Bullock because whenever you have somebody like James Cameron, who is like a sci-fi expert who literally invents technology to create film saying that what Sandra Bullock did uh, in her performance was remarkable and that Hollywood quote should understand what was accomplished here. I think that that speaks volumes because it's a different kind of performance. Mm -hmm. It is a sci-fi performance, but it was probably so much more demanding on her physically and emotionally because she was literally trapped in a cage every day for 10 fucking hours. Yeah. And she had to memorize all of her. It wasn't about the lines and the emotional journey. It was about the choices again, like not freaking out when, when, when George, Clooney like flew off into space it's like I don't got time for emotions right now the only time that she had time for emotions was was when she was like I'm just gonna die now I'm gonna make your dog bark calm me down I'm gonna go to sleep and I'm gonna die and it's like though she made so many choices but then the way that she has to um I'm just going to read this quote. So she was involved so closely in every single decision without the whole thing uh, throughout the entire thing. Quaron said it was a good thing because once we started prepping for the shoot, it was almost like a dance routine where it was like one, two, three left, uh, left four, five, six, right. She was amazing about the blocking and the rehearsal of that. So when we were shooting, everything was um, uh, just about truthfulness and emotion because she had like the mechanics of it, like, you know, just, 
pat like like down. And also, we always remor- reward the big dramatic emotional, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. roles. It's like Sigourney Weaver being nominated for Aliens. It's like, frankly, I think she could have won that Oscar mm-hmm. over um, Marley Matlin and um, uh, lesser children of God. Or Another uh, Brian Rowe shout out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, you know, and so for me, it's just like, I uh, also just love the crisp hour and a half, even though I know Blue Jasmine was like, I think an hour and 38 minutes, but still um, amazing, amazing, amazing performance by Kate Blanchett. I see why she won. But just for me personally, what I enjoy and just the what was accomplished here cinematically I'm giving it to Sandy. Yeah, and I'll just add, there isn't one moment, not a single second of this film that you don't believe she is trapped in space. Yeah, that's so true. And also, I when we did the episode, because we gave it to Gabrielle Sidibe for um, Precious, because uh, mm. she truly, she should have yeah, won over yeah. uh, Sandy B for The Blind Side. So it's like, I like that Sandy has an Oscar. Um, and so between the two, I would give it to her for Gravity any day yeah. over um, I agree. The blind side. I agree. Not that that was the assignment here, but like I'm just saying. No, this is uh, in a way. This is the assignment. <laughs> 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 um, oh. Yeah, I agree. I think the challenge of this was was extreme, um, and and she really does pull it off. Absolutely amazing and another amazing episode Catherine Niker thank you so much where can people find you on social media uh thank you so much for having me uh I always appreciate being on this podcast uh you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at it's me underscore Catherine spelt c-a-t-h-r-y-n amazing okay well we'll have to have you back again soon to talk Vivian Lee in streetcar named <laughs> yes, desire I'd love to. okay bye bye did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe, and I will see you all at Howard's Inn.